Welcome into the Arrowhead Addict Podcast Thursday edition. Going to be joined in just a minute by my pal from Sports Illustrated, Matt Verter, and we're going to talk about the Chiefs game and the Super Bowl and a lot of happy things. Um, But before we do that, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor, please hit the like button. And if you'll bear with me for just a minute, I I have something that I'd like to say. And I I, I just I I didn't want to just dive right in to the Chiefs talk. And there was an obvious tragedy at the Chiefs parade yesterday. Um, And so I wanted to address that uh, really quickly. Um, You know, I've been looking forward to today's show pretty much since the minute that McCole Hardman caught that pass from Patrick Mahomes to win the Super Bowl. See, I was fortunate enough to be at the game in the media workroom on Sunday. And as most of you know, Fansided partners with Special Olympics to do unified reporting at the Super Bowl. And myself and my colleagues had just spent the entire week covering opening night NFL honors and Radio Row with our Special Olympics reporter, Malcolm Harris-Gowdy. The finale of this coverage, of course, is is a game where I was lucky enough to receive the honor of covering the game and the post-game press conferences with Malcolm. Here at Fansided, we are incredibly proud of our partnership with Special Olympics and for the opportunity to provide a platform to demonstrate the power of inclusivity. But covering that press conference meant that Malcolm and I wouldn't be able to join in the, in, uh, in the post-game podcast and the victory party to celebrate with my friends and family in the Chiefs kingdom. Chiefs fandom and Arrowhead Attic means everything to me. My Chiefs fandom is the reason that I have a career that I have. It's provided me with lifelong friends, unbelievable opportunities and experiences, and a platform to relay all of my terrible sports takes to you. This podcast, our members, the regular listeners, anybody who just happens to stop by, it's it's without a doubt the most fun part of my job at Fansided. So yes, I could not wait to get on here for the Thursday show, the day after the Chiefs victory parade, to finally celebrate another Super Bowl with my Chiefs family. Instead, we're opening the show talking about tragedy, about ugliness and murder. A woman was murdered yesterday, one of our fellows in the chief's kingdom. Dozens of people, including small children, were shot and critically injured and countless more were traumatized and forever changed. And what should have been a day of celebration and civic pride and fellowship turned into a nightmare. And as we all know, this sort of thing happens every single day in this country. Movie theaters, schools, parades, Walmart, nowhere is safe. The elderly, teachers, worshipers, children, nobody is spared. And when these tragedies happen, you would think that it would bring people together, but it doesn't. It just spawns more vitriol and hatred Thoughts and prayers are offered. The same bullshit platitudes are uttered. The people we elect to represent us and to fix our problems spew their talking points to placate whatever special interests are helping them cling to power. And a couple of days go by and everyone moves on until the blood is running in the streets again and then the cycle continues. And I don't don't have any answers for you. 
And the platitudes that I utter on this show are just as useless and as meaningless as the next guy's. And I'm not here to promote a political agenda or to be anti-gun or anti-liberal or anti-anything. The mess that we find ourselves in is way too big and way too complicated for me to be so arrogant as to believe that I have the answer to fix it. It's something that we as a people have got to figure out together, but it seems like we're moving in the wrong direction if that is our goal. But I do have a platform. And so I'll use it to say this, we have to stop being so ugly to each other. Maybe, I don't know, like we've always been this horrible and the internet has just helped amplify it, but it feels like we're getting worse. We can't accept differences in one another. We relish in tearing each other down and demonizing those who have different views than ours, different opinions than ours. We have no grace no conscience, no respect for others. So how can we expect the worst of us to value human life or the safety of children? I love being a part of Chief's Kingdom because I find fellowship there. When I see a guy walking down the street wearing a Chief's hat, I see a friend. I don't know if he's pro-gun or pro-Joyce or a huge asshole, but I know instantly that I share something in common with him. And until we start seeing each other as friends, as humans worthy of love and respect, none of this is going to get solved. The horror and bloodshed will continue because if we don't truly value one another, we just hate each other. So what is there to protect? There are so many grifters trying to divide us every minute of every day. People making money off our fear and sowing divisiveness. They don't even believe half the shit that they say. They just believe it long enough to cash their checks. Out of respect for the victims, we canceled yesterday's show. We're going to move forward with today's show because Frankly, I would like to spend some time with my friends in the Chief's Kingdom. And many of you have told us that this show has helped you through some hard times. So damn it, we're going to do it today. I love all of you. I thank you for hearing me out. Thank you for your support. Take care of each other and be good to each other. We are all we've got. Okay, let's get on with the show. So, okay, uh, thank you again for uh, hearing me out on that. Um, I don't want a soapbox or anything like that, but I guess I did. Um, and I appreciate you all. Uh, Verderam is going to join us in just uh, two minutes. And we're going to talk about football, um, which is what this show is about. Um, and I'm, I'm proud if um, if this show brings you know any of you any comfort after seeing the horrible things that happen at that Chiefs parade, it's one of the things we love sports for, right? Is that it's an escape for us. It makes us happy. It makes us exhilarated, um, and it shows in in many in most of the times it shows the best of us, some of the best of us. Um, so I was I was bummed out. I wasn't able to be on the post game show. Uh, Malcolm and I were able to make a quick appearance before we, we went to the post game press conferences. And um, 
I missed you guys. I missed being able to celebrate with you, but I was very thankful for the opportunity that uh, I had um, to be there at the Super Bowl to see our favorite team and to and to ask them questions through Malcolm at the end of the game. So um, look, guys, it was incredible. Uh, you know, being in the media and Verderam's experienced this before. Being there with the media in a professional environment as a Chiefs fan is maybe the hardest thing I've ever done because you you know it's unprofessional. You don't you can't cheer. You can't show up in your Chiefs jersey right like you're there as a professional to cover the game. And I did slip up once. I will be honest with you. When uh, at the beginning of the game, when Christian McCaffrey fumbled, I <laughs> I gasped and went and I clapped one time when the Chiefs recovered it. Uh, and then I got my my act together fr- from that point on. As Matt Verderam joins us, Verderam, my man, uh, we're here now uh, after that after the top of the show just to to celebrate a little bit and 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 recap this game. I didn't put together an outline because I know you and I can can bullshit and talk Chiefs for hours with without it uh, being necessary. And I know um, you know you haven't been on the show since it happened, so I was just really excited to go through the Super Bowl with you, talk about this absolutely amazing game. Now I texted with you. Before the you know the day before the game, I think it was, and I asked you how you felt, and you said you thought the Chiefs were going to cream them, and our own Matt Connor thought the Chiefs were going to cream them. Uh, I was not as optimistic, but 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 I did think the Chiefs would win. Give me your ten thousand foot view on like how that game played out. What what surprised you about was were you surprised at how close it ended up being? I was. I thought the Chiefs were going to win by two or three scores. I was surprised early in the game that the Chiefs struggled up front as much as they did. Not that I thought the tackles were going to be perfect, but I thought the Chiefs would help and chip, which they did as the game wore on. They didn't as much early. Um, And I didn't like early on. They just kept trying to go horizontal with the ball. And I I thought that was a mistake against the Niners team that is athletic up front. Um, But... That was probably the thing that surprised me most. And to be fair, Purdy played very, very well early in the game. I thought as the game went on, he kind of petered out a little bit. But I thought as you know, early he was like eight of ten for like 130 yards. So um, I was surprised by those things. Uh, but I thought uh, my big surprise. Look, I thought the Niners were going to score 17 points, and in regulation they scored 19. So I wasn't that far off there. I thought the Chiefs were going to move the ball a lot better than they did. They really struggled, and they had the red zone turnover. That was probably my biggest surprise. Yeah. I, you know, when my initial thoughts as I was, as I was going through the game very early on, um, the 49ers were so jacked up and I was, I was in a couple text threads and I think that was part of it. Right. I mean, they came out like they were shot out of a cannon. And I think that this is where the experience factor comes into it. I really do think, and I was texting with some people and I said, I think this is going to come back to bite them. Like they're playing great. And it's making an impact, but if they don't cause some sort of turnover and you know get a pick six or something like, they're gonna they're gonna be gassed. And look, and I don't want this to come out wrong. Um, Dre Greenlaw, horrible injury, really unfortunate. Running onto the football field, um, tears his Achilles. And when I saw him on the sideline before I knew he tore his Achilles. Jumping up and down, trying to run. Like, like they, every play they made, they were so oh. – and so I'm not trying – like I don't want to indicate like he's he's at fault for himself getting hurt. It was a freak thing. But we've seen guys celebrate exuberantly and hurt themselves before, and he was 
so jacked up. Like the, the whole 49ers defense in particular reminded me of the of the horses at the Kentucky Derby when they're walking them out and like all those horses know how to do is run. And they're trying to like actually keep them calm because they like once they get out on that racetrack, you know, when they get them in the gates, they don't, they don't leave those gates. As soon as that lace, last gate shuts, they open them and those horses go. And I felt like to a degree like that Greenlaw injury, like it was just so jacked up and he kind of jumped to run on the field and then he got a horrible injury. Well, that can happen. I mean, adrenaline, I don't know if that's what happened there, but that can happen. I mean, Tim Crumry broke his leg flopping around in Super Bowl 23 as a nose tackle for the Bengals, a very good player. And he said after the game, he's like, I was just so excited. Like I just, I, I had so much adrenaline going that I, he goes, it wasn't the turf or it wasn't somebody running to me. He goes, I just went to explode off the line of scrimmage and my leg just snapped. Like I was just so exuberant. So it can happen. And as we know with Achilles, especially non-contact ACL, stuff like that. And then like sometimes when it goes, it just goes like there's no real reason. It yeah. just happens. And it was incredibly unfortunate for the 49ers because he is a great player. And so when he went out of that game, and Oren Burks came in. Look, Burks isn't bad, but he's not Dre Greenlaw. And so it changed the way the Chiefs could attack second level of that defense. Yeah, yeah. And and then to to the latter point of like it wearing you down, I, do you think that there was an element of they, they were so jacked up? And you just can't – it's not possible even for these guys to maintain that level of intensity over the course of what ended up being five quarters of five football. Quarters. yep. You know, and so is there something to whereas I felt like the Chiefs were a little bit the Chiefs have an aggressive defense. They like to make plays, but I felt like they were much more like, let's get a feel for this thing. All right. Yeah, maybe we give up some yards. Maybe we even give up a the three, you know, a field goal drive, but like let's not go crazy and you know, have something get behind us because we're playing too aggressively. Do you think that that bit the 49ers in the ass a little bit? Um yeah, I think, look, I think it's just hard to maintain that level of uh, excitement like and, 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 and that level of play. And we saw that, by the way, not from an injury perspective, but we saw that in the fourth quarter of Super Bowl 54 where uh, the 49ers pass rush in that game was outrageous. Three and a half quarters. And then... For the last seven minutes, it kind of ran out of gas a little bit. And to be fair, look, I thought in this game, I don't know how you felt. We haven't, we haven't talked about it. Um, I thought both defenses by the end of the game were kind of hanging on for dear life there. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I thought um, I, I thought that I, I thought that the, the both teams by about the middle of the fourth quarter, you could just kind of see it. Like the defenses, a lot of possessions in the game. A lot of great players to keep up with and contend with on both sides. Like it felt like it felt like they were kind of just at the end of the at the at the end of the line, so to speak. You know, the Niners give them credit. They held on when it was 16-13, forced a field goal, did the same thing in 1916. The Chiefs held on, got a couple of key stops. Um, I mean, look, I'm not trying to I know you said we don't even have an outline, so I guess I can't go off your outline, but I I thought the key to that game, that the the biggest moment, the turning point, or whatever term you want to use, was that coin toss. I could not believe the 49ers took the ball. And this isn't a hindsight thing. Like when it happened, 
I, I think I, I was watching right here. I was watching my TV. I said, oh my, oh my God, like how, why would you take the ball? Like, what yeah. are you doing? I was floored that they did that. And I really think it decided the game. I really do. It, it, yeah, I was the same way, man. I, I couldn't believe that. I was so relieved. I was, I was again in text threads. I was in our our members' Discord here at Arrowhead Attic, and I was saying, "Hey, we, like we want." I was like, "We want to, we want to win the, we want them to have the ball first. It was crazy. And, and um, you know, and looking back on it in those early quarters, a lot of people were tweeting like, "Ah, it's such a, it's a terrible Super Bowl. It's an ugly." You know, there's there's turnovers. Right. I just felt like, and there were look, there was some sloppy play. I personally didn't find it to be like unwatchable. I just saw two like really good defenses just hammering each other. And I appreciate defensive play. Now we've seen ugly play. I mean, I watched the Denver Broncos earlier this season. I mean, like we've seen some ugly football. I didn't feel like this was ugly football. I just felt like this was smash mouth defense. And it took some time for these offenses to break through. What was your take on that? Uh, I thought it was a combination. I mean, look, you know, there's fumbles on either side. And I thought, um, you know, the Niners had one sequence. I think Trent Williams took both penalties. It was kind of ragged. And he took a false start and they took a holding. And they, they were like second and 27 or something. So, you know, I thought I thought early there's a little bit, of, you know, it gets lost at time. And like, rightfully so, I guess. But like, Legere Sneed took a personal foul, right? Like, there was just kind of. I thought the first half was a little bit ragged. I also thought that both defenses showed why they're so damn good. I mean, one thing I will say about that Super Bowl, especially in this day and age, it really impressed me, was how well both teams tackled. I mean, there were very few times some guy got away and broke one, two, three tackles. I mean, it just did not happen very often. It was a game that, Really, after the first series or two, the Chiefs got a good pass rush themselves. Both teams had had hard times creating the pocket. I thought really that was one of the stories in the game was early. I thought the Niners were winning up front. As the game wore on, I still thought the Niners were winning up front defensively for a decent chunk, but the Chiefs started winning on the defensive side up front. They were getting a lot of pressure on Purdy. I I tweeted this out after the game. I thought Mike Pinnell was the best damn player on the field for the Chiefs. Along with God, he was unbelievable. Yeah. He was unbelievable in that game. They kept winning up front. I was very impressed by that, but I thought that kind of led to the first half where neither offense could really establish themselves, and it led to you know a couple long field goals and a and a, and a ten three score at the break. Uh, Ballsworthy, uh, Ballsworth says, "Yo, Patrick, your pre playoff prep t- uh, pep talk hype up speech was legendary. Thanks for all you do. Appreciate you." Um, yeah, man, I'm glad it worked out. I, I turned out to be right with that pep talk. So, um, yeah, and, and boy, have the Chiefs just taught us, Ram, just don't even bother writing them off. Like, I, I, I was in, the, again, I keep mentioning the text thread, our own Adam Best was, he was panicking a little bit, you know, and he was like, this is, this feels like the Bucks game. And it was, you know, it was, so we were down 10. And I was like, I'm not worried at all. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, until we start turning the ball over like crazy, like, if we're within 10, we can come back and win. I don't know how you ever write this Chiefs team off at any point in during a season, during a game. It's unbelievable what they do. Watching that game with my dad, um, I was very concerned for them early. I was worried they were going to get blown out early in the game because they were losing up front so badly. And I thought the fumble by McCaffrey really kind of saved them on that drive. Yeah. And then 
you know, they, they were able to make just enough plays where the Niners at halftime, let's be, I mean, they could have easily been up you know, 14, 17 points, but they weren't because they, they didn't capitalize. Now, look, you could also say, hey, look, you know, the Chiefs don't fumble down there. Maybe it's a, a closer game, whatever. I mean, it goes both ways, but they were outplayed. I was very concerned going at the half, very concerned. I, ironically, I felt the lowest and the best about their chances within about a three-minute span, and it was Mahomes throwing the pick out of half was the worst I felt about the game. Yeah. I felt like if the Niners had gone in and got a touchdown there, I thought that game was probably done. They couldn't score. They couldn't do anything. But they don't score. They went backwards. They have to punt. And I said to my dad during that TV timeout, I said, if they figure this out offensively, they're going to win this game because the Niners can't move the ball. They, they can't score. They can't do anything. If the Chiefs could ever figure out anything on offense, they're going to win. And you know, truthfully, they really never did until about midway through the fourth quarter. I mean, even yeah. the touchdown they had to go up 13-10 was a product of a, of a punt hitting a guy's heel, right? I mean, it wasn't like they drove 90 yards. I thought the key in that game, what, other than the, the coin toss, was the Niners had three possessions where it was 10-3, 10-3, And they had three three and outs, and they had a total of negative two yards. That was where the Niners could have, and if you want to be a Niners fan, or maybe, or you know, say should have, put that game away. And they did nothing. And if you play a team like the Chiefs or those Patriots of, of Brady and Belichick, if you can put them away, you better do it. Because if you don't do it, you know what's coming. And, yeah. you know, it eventually showed up. You're And you're right. I mean, when it was still a one-score game or even 10, like I was like, okay, the, the defense is good enough. If they can keep holding, the, the, the Chiefs can get back in this. And when they came out – and when they went into the half down 10-3, I was like, all right, like Andy's going to make adjustments at the half. I was thinking about the Eagles game last year where the Chiefs offense was just unstoppable in the second half. And that's kind of what I was hoping for or expecting. Right. And then when Mahomes threw the interception, that's when I felt like, oh, no – they're starting to resemble the the team from the regular season. Like he's pressing, he's making a bad decision, and that's when things would fall apart from them in the regular right. season. But for me, the the key point in that game was after that interception, where the 49ers have first and 10 at the Chiefs 44, and Purdy throws an incomplete pass, and then the and then they get a, a false start penalty on Banks. Backs him up five yards, then second and 15, incomplete to Debo Samuel, third and 15, and they hold up in coverage. Purdy scrambles for four yards, and they punt. Um, that was that was it. Them coming away empty there and the Chiefs pushing them back, yep. that for me was the stand of the game for the Chiefs defense. Uh, and and that gave the – and I know after that, you know, it was, you know, Chiefs punt, it went three and out. The 49ers went three and out. But that was just sort of like – this Chiefs defense, man, that drive at the end of the game when they didn't let him get the first uh, – in overtime and they didn't let him get that first down, I mean, <laughs> they, with all due respect to Patrick Mahomes, the, if they could give the defense the MVP award, that's what they should have done. Look, they were they were great. They were great. Um Kelsey in the game had, you can correct me if I'm right, they had what, nine catches for 93 yards, I believe, was his final yep. line. He did that on 10 targets. Yeah. 
Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and Debo Samuel had 20 targets, had eight catches, and fewer yardage than Travis Kelsey. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a master class defensively. It really was. I mean, yeah. th- that team has more weapons than they know what to do with. And McCaffrey had 160 total yards, but nobody else did anything. Couldn't do anything. Yeah. Purdy started out hot as hell, and after that did nothing. <clears throat> they they could not do anything. And you know what? You know, like every close game in football, not just the Super Bowl, but certainly the Super Bowl, you're going to parse it a million ways, and rightfully so. To me, there were a couple spots in that game that if I'm Shanahan, like I, I wake up in a cold sweat over it. One of which is third and four out of the two-minute warning. Like, bro, you got to know they're blitzing. I mean, I'm sorry. You know Steve Spagnuolo on that play. He's not dropping eight. Like, they're bringing pressure. It's coming. You know they love slot blitzes. And I give Spags credit. Like, Spags was like, I don't care if you know what's coming. Like, this is what we're really good at. Here it is. Beat it. And they looked completely unprepared for that. Like, they had no clue that that might happen. That was number one. Yeah, and I think he might have had a shot at McCaffrey on the other side of the field on that play. Um, but, I mean, it's this is Steve Spagnolo. It's, it's chess and pulling, pulling the right move at the right time and hoping it works, I thought was absolutely fantastic by him. And yeah, you're right, man. I mean, that that was it. That was it. Um, of course, the missed field goal. I mean, the missed yeah, extra point. Yeah, blocked extra point yeah. for the for the for the 49ers. Yeah, the, it was blocked. I mean, <laughs> by the way, I don't know how you felt, and I've seen a couple of people mention this. And I felt this in real time. I thought in overtime when it was third and four from the nine, I thought the Niners should have ran the ball, and if they had to, go for it on fourth down. Yeah, because I thought that was absolute football suicide to kick a field goal and hand that guy the football. I'll tell you guys right now, when they did that, I was like, this game's over. Like, he is going to drive them down the field. I just – and the only time I got nervous was that fourth and one because with the Chiefs in those yardage situations, you never know. Like, are they just going to try to, like, sneak it with Noah Gray or something? Like, what the hell is going to happen? Yeah. Once they picked that up, and really, to be to be blunt, once they got over the 50 with that throw to Rice on third down, I'm like, this, this is done. Like they're going in the end zone. Now it's just a matter of like who's going to score the touchdown. I thought if I'm Shanahan, if I'm taking the ball first, which I never would have done, but if I did that or I was put in that position, I'm either scoring nothing or a touchdown. Like I'm not kicking a field goal. There's no way. Plus, if you go for it down there and you don't get it, I know the Chiefs only need a field goal and they have Butker, but like they're backed up at like the nine. I mean, and if they don't move, they got a punt. Now all you need is a field goal, and you got good field position. To kick a field goal there, I thought was bonkers. Like I just, I, I thought the entire, I thought Shanahan coached a really good game for four quarters, and I, I thought he fell apart with to- the toss, and then in overtime, I thought he just did a terrible job from that stretch on. Yeah, I mean that was it, man. Uh, I, I thought we were donezo at that point. I mean, I have all the faith in the world in the defense, but when they were down there in overtime and just needed a few yards, and and because he had gone for it on fourth, like in a, this pretty much the same situation, I think it was a third and four on fourth down, and picked it up with the pass to Kittle, I was like, they're they're too close. They're gonna they're gonna go for it and they're gonna put it in the end zone. Yep. And and basically, he did when he kicked that field goal, he made it sudden death with Patrick Mahomes. You know, and I, and. That was it. 
I, I will never like there to me. There to me are times where I look at it and I go, all right, you know what? I get what the guy's thinking. Like, I get it. I understand the why. I, I, I'll never understand why. And I, and I heard what Shanahan said, obviously, after the game, which was, you know, basically they were playing for, hey, if the game's tied after each team has the ball, we have the ball at sudden death. Yeah, bro, you got to get there. Like, you're not going to get there. I mean, and, and I'm also, if I'm Shanahan, I'm thinking to myself, look, we go to score a touchdown. And then they score a touchdown. They're going to go for two points here. Like, they're not going to kick the ball back off. And I I just – I was blown away by it. I really was. I couldn't understand for the life of me what the thought process was. Even now in hearing it, I don't understand it. And then after the game, some of the Niners players are like, yeah, we didn't know what the rules were. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was bad luck. Bad luck by a coach who, frankly, like for all the failings you've had in the Super Bowl, how are you not – like unbelievably prepared for every single thing, and then after the game, you hear guys like Chris Jones were on defense. Like, yeah, I knew if we, I knew if we got the ball, we we're going to score, and you know, we we're going to go for two. Like he knew that he's on defense. Yeah, and like Kyle Juszczyk had no idea what the rules were. The guy's a Harvard grad; he's not a moron. Like, no clue. Horrible. And it, it's, it's one of the things about being a good team like the Chiefs. It actually makes it harder. It's even harder to be a really good team because you know if they were playing a different like teams are just gonna they're just gonna start going for it they already do against the chiefs the chiefs have to stop people more times than normal because people know they're playing the chiefs right it's like when it's like when we stunk remember when we stunk and we were playing i got i think it, i think brody croyle started this game and we oh, were playing the colts and peyton manning and we like started the game with an onside kick it's like teams do these desperate things with you because they know they have there there's there's no chance, and so now from you know from Mahomes it's like it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. The more he adds to his legacy of like oh yeah if that guy's got the the ball at the end of the game it's going to get harder and harder for the Chiefs to win because presumably teams are just going to get smarter and smarter and they're just, I mean if the Chiefs run into Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers in the Super Bowl next year Kyle Shanahan might go for it on every single fourth down all game long. No matter what it is, because he's he's just at a certain point, these guys are going to just get the YOLO and be like, it's our only chance. I I just don't understand the thought process some of these guys have. I, I never will. As, and look, listen, I know they know a hundred times more about football than I ever will. I understand that. I respect that. Doesn't make any sense. Like some of this stuff is just I I honestly. You know, a lot of people who in here have known me for years and have listened to me for years. And I'm a hockey fan, and I grew up a New Jersey Devils fan. And the reason I bring them up is when I was a kid, they had, in my opinion, the greatest goaltender of all time. He holds pretty much every record, Martin Verdor. And I will tell you, they won games sometimes because guys would get in scoring position where like a normal get play, you're like, all right, guy's going to put it top corner, guy's going to put it on the ice, whatever. But because Rodor was in the net, they'd squeeze the stick tight and they'd, they'd roof it and they'd put it right over the crossbar because they were trying to be so perfect. And there were times like you'd be like, oh, he had him. He had him beat. But like it, it was the, it was that aura of like, you're not going to beat this guy. You're not going to beat this guy. So then you speed up a little bit and you try to be a little bit too fine, right? And, and it ends up instead of just making a normal shot that's going to go in the net, like you hit the crossbar because you're just so panicked. The Chiefs do that to teams where – you look at it and you're like, oh, God, all right, well, what are we going to do? Because Mahomes is over there. And how are we going to deal with this? And what are we going to – and I think it speeds guys up 
And it, it almost like freaks them out. And I think, I honest to God, things what happened with Shanahan. I don't know if you've seen the mic'd up yet. I went, I watched it last night when I got back from oh, yeah. Kansas City. The body language in the overtime was one of like almost acceptance. Like there was at one point, there's an Irish kick the field goal and Shanahan. They show Shanahan on the sideline. He's walking up and down. And I, I'm not verbatim with this, but he said something like, well, all we've got to do is stop Patrick Mahomes and we win the Super Bowl. And you could just see <laughs> like it, it was like said in that tone. Right. Like, oh my God. Yeah, if we can like, just turn water into wine. Yeah, um, like you could uh, see in his body, he was like, We're not stopping them. Like you you could tell he was like trying to convince himself. And uh and like even some of the players, like Paul just mentioned, like Kittle scenes, right? Yeah, like even some of the players like, we can do this. And, you know, yeah. like you could just see like in the react. And then like, meanwhile, Mahomes and Kelsey are like, what do you think? Touchdown? And yep. Yeah. Like it was just the body. Like, like even Justin Reed, when he came off the field after the field goal, he's like, that's not going to be enough. Like it was. And I, I think so much of that has to do with the guy, the coach on the other side, the quarterback on the other side, teams, it, they just panic. They tense up. And I think you saw that with the Niners and OT. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it like, you know, the 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 Texans in the playoffs a few years ago trying the fake punt, um, the Bills trying to fake punt this year. Like Patrick Mahomes makes people go crazy and they like, literally lose their mind, lose their senses. And it yeah. really is to this point where the larger conversation here is, have you ever seen – for me, it was Montana, like from a football perspective. Obviously, there's the Jordan comparisons, right? Like it's this it, with Jordan at that time, it was it just got to the point. He did it so many damn times that you were just like, all right, well, yeah. Jordan's going to win oh, yeah. again. Right. And Montana was kind of the same way. You know, the, the famous quote about Montana, I can't remember who said it was it. You know, he wasn't always great. He was great when he needed to be. Mahomes is always great. Um, and and he also is always great when he needs to be, almost always. And it's to that point now where it's just like, all right, we're okay. 13 seconds, fine. Like whatever he needs to do to get the job done. When you look at the last drives by the Chiefs, after they struggled on offense all game long, their last drives in the championship rounds, they went – 12 plays, 69 yards, field goal. 11 plays, 64 yards, field goal. 13 plays, 75 yards. It was just like, all right, like maybe the Chiefs should lobby for the NFL just to start start them every game. Just the Chiefs game starts, it's the fourth quarter and they're down 10. Like they might just, the Chiefs just might sign up for that and be like, yeah, let's just, let's just do a fourth quarter down 10 and go ahead and give them the ball to start too. You know, yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're fine. I, I just thought as the game wore on, their experience and their confidence showed through. Like they, they didn't panic. They didn't make a boneheaded mistake. They didn't try to force something. Like even in that that penultimate play in regulation where, you know, Mahomes had just hit Kelsey on this shallow cross and they're first and goal, I think, at a nine. And Mahomes like didn't even waste time. He was just like in the huddle with Kelsey. He's like, "Listen, if you're like if you're one on one, I'm throwing the ball to you. That's what's happening. Like the rest of you guys can go like do whatever the hell you want. Like that's what's happening here." Right. I now you could argue that like, hey, he should have looked at Rasheed Rice because he might have walked in the end zone. But 
I don't blame Pat for that. Like Pat was like, I know what I know, and this is what's happening. And like, I'm going to throw this ball in a spot where either you catch it or nobody does. And like, that's, that's experience. You're not over your skis. You're not, you know, trying to figure out what you should do and where you should go with, like, he was just like, no, this is what I'm doing. And if we don't get it, we'll kick and we'll go to overtime. We'll win overtime. Um, and by the way, on a side note, <clears throat> I, I, like, I haven't really heard this talk, but I love the fact that the Chiefs rookie receiver was like giving it to Mahomes. Like, hey, man, give me the ball. Like, you're talking, like, this wasn't like some throwaway game in October. Like, this is like the Super Bowl's on the line. And Rasheed Rice is telling Patrick Mahomes, hey, man, I'm open. Throw it to me. I mean, you got to have some damn, you got to have some balls on you to go up to Patrick Mahomes with six seconds left in the Super Bowl and be like, hey, man, you need to look at me. I'm open. Like, if I'm Mahomes, like, I know he got, like, kind of in his face in the moment. I bet you Mahomes after that was like, hey, man, that's what I want. Like, be that guy. We need yeah. that guy. Because, you know, you know Kelsey would be doing I mean, Kelsey almost threw Reed across the field. Like, yeah. you need guys like that sometimes. Did you see uh, or hear what Mahomes said to him in that moment when Mahomes was yelling at him back? Yeah, no, no. So, so there's this guy on on uh, TikTok, and he, like, lip-read it. Okay. I'm going to play it for you. was wide open. And this is when Mahomes releases the ball, and he could hit him right in the chest there. He could probably lead him. Also, the snap wasn't great. It's kind of on the ground. It bounces. So as soon as that happens, Mahomes grabs it, and he's just like, I got to get rid of this and make a safe throw. You can see Mahomes say, hey, motherfucker, he rolled the fucking snap to me. All right? So I had to get a throw off. He rolled it to me, and he's like, all right, let's do then. Let's go then. All right, let's go then. So that's what and, – and you can see it. Like, you can see him saying he rolled the fucking snap to me. So it was him just telling Rasheed Rice, like, who was mad that he was open, like, bro. Um, and, boy, and not to focus too much on the negative, but Creed Humphrey's got to work on that snap this offseason. Yeah, yeah he, he was not good with that all year. But boy, he was brutal in the Super Bowl. And I, But, man – it's so funny, though, like any other situation, any other situation, that's the Chiefs, and they blow that play. You're like, oh, my God, there's their chance, right? My immediate reaction to it was kick the field goal, we're fine. Like, doesn't doesn't matter. Like, go to overtime, whatever you got to do, and, like, Mahomes is just going gonna to find a way. The, honestly, as weird as it sounds, the most nervous that I was, the most nervous, was when Mahomes was rolling out on the game-winning play and he saw Hardman. And it's one of those things I was like, oh, God, he's wide open. I know he's going to throw it right on him. Please catch it. And yeah. then Hardman caught it and like kind of was like, hey, I caught the football. And I, to be fair, I did not notice in real time, but my dad immediately was like, what the hell's wrong with him? Like, why is he not excited? And then Mahomes just like went crazy. Yeah. And then, of course, now, as we all know, Hardman was like, I just completely blocked out and like didn't realize we had just won the Super Bowl. Yeah. But um, that was the most nervous I was because I feel like some of the hardest catchers are the ones that like you're so open that it's like, oh, God, you're going to think about it. Apparently not nervous because he had no clue what it meant. Yeah. So that that was good. That worked out. Yeah. That, that played to their favor. And as I tweeted, it was much. It was a. It was a big improvement from the regular season where the receivers were blacking out before they caught the ball. Um, <laughs> yes, but yes. but you mentioned not making mistakes. And on that same drive, there's a play 
uh, and it's 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 there were two dump offs to Isaiah Pacheco on that drive. I'm not sure which one it was. One was for four yards. I think one was for five. But there was a play on that last drive where Mahomes hitched and he was looking to air it out deep. And I, I haven't seen the all 22 yet, so I don't know what he saw down there. But I was like, oh, God, he's going to take a big shot. And oh, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And and then he just at the last minute he was like now nah, screw it and he dumped it off to Pacheco right as he got tackled. In fact, he was in the air. He threw the ball and he got tackled. That's another one where he could have he could have taken that big shot and instead he was like, let me just keep matriculating the ball down the field here. Maybe it's yep. not there. We I can't if I turn the ball over we lose. And I think that I was thinking about this, and I'm curious to hear what you think. I was thinking about the Bucks Super Bowl. Oh my God! And, why? Let's not do that. Yeah, I know, right? And the no. way that the Chiefs were structured at that time, and they were still the high-flying Chiefs yeah. with Tyree Kill, and they were still trying to play that way. And I'm curious if if the Chiefs knew the outcome of that game that they were not going to be able to block those guys. Same personnel, but with today's Mahomes, and you put him back in that game with the with this offense the dink and dunk, take what they give you offense. Do you think they could have won that game? In other words, if that happened, same thing happened now, same same team, but right. with this offense, could they have navigated those deficiencies? No. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Well, I should say that. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that while this team was very frustrating in some ways, that the other teams maybe weren't, especially that team, which basically didn't lose a game that year. The one thing that I think made this team very, very, very qualified to do what it did, the defense was so damn good. They didn't need the offense to be perfect. They just needed it to do enough. Like that 2020 team, as great as they were, that defense was not particularly great. Like they really needed that offense to be great. Like I remember that year, you and I, that was the first year I believe we did this podcast. And like, it was so frustrating. We'd sit here and they'd have like a 20 point lead in every game. And then they'd blow the whole thing. And Cause that was your, if you remember that they could never cover a spread, <clears throat> right. like they would yeah. constantly like blow the, like some massive lead. So it always felt with them. Like, even though, Hey, look, they're great. You're always a little bit concerned. Um, I I felt like with this team, as frustrating as the receivers were, they were always going to be in every single game. They weren't going to get blown out like they got blown out at Super Bowl because of the defense. Yeah. And I think the Super Bowl kind of showed that. Like they, If they don't have a great defense, they're blown out in this game. They are. I mean, that game, they could not do anything offensively for three quarters. But that defense just kept hanging in there, hanging in there, hanging in there, and then – you know, listen, they're the Chiefs. Last four drives of the game, 19 points, game over. That's it. But, like, they, they're not even in the game if the defense isn't lights out. And, by the way, congrats to Spags on a uh, very deserved uh, extension. Yeah. Very deserved. Okay, if you took this team and dropped it into that game against the Bucks, so this this year's defense, right. this year's offense, but you removed Jawan Taylor and Donovan Smith and replaced them with the tackles that the Chiefs had in that game. Could they have beaten the Bucks? No, in that game, they you couldn't don't think block. so. They couldn't have blocked the defense. They couldn't have blocked them. I'll tell you right now. I think this this team is as it says. I think I think they would have beaten the Bucks with the current group, with the whole I, with the whole group. Oh, because yeah. you're saying you're asking me if I think they would have won the game with this defense, but like with Mike Remmers' tackle. 
Yeah, the deficiencies that no, they had. No, it was too much to overcome. They were dis- they were a disaster. But yeah. this team, I think, would have beaten that that Bucks team because I don't think they would have given up points. I, yeah. I think they would have held them to like thirteen points, and I think that, that Mahomes just would have figured it out if they could have blocked it all. Um, but you know, listen, I, and it's a weird like we all have all season. I don't know where you rank this team among the. I think you have to say of the three teams won the Super Bowl, it's probably the weakest overall. Like it probably is, but in a weird way, like I had no confidence on Christmas. This team could do anything. But then as the playoffs went on, you're more like, well, they might – like I picked them in every single individual playoff game because they, I, I just felt like, well, they're not going to give up points. And that's that's what happened. Plus, you know, a couple plays by Holmes, a couple plays by Rice, Pacheco, Kelsey. Here we are. So before the game, I heard some people talking about, you know, hey, if, if, if you're Kyle Shanahan in this game, you want, you want Christian McCaffrey to get 30 – touches at least and that's what i would have done if i was kyle shanahan i would have been giving the ball to christian mccaffrey like crazy well he got exactly 30 touches in this game 22 carries for 80 yards 3.6 yards average he did some damage in the passing game he had a 24 yard reception got you know the trick play the touchdown eight for 80 but i think you can live with that if he's not gashing you on the ground are you surprised that the Chiefs were able to hold that guy who's so good, best running back in the NFL, to 3.6 yards per carry in the Super Bowl? I was. I was. Um, I, I'm not surprised he didn't run wild. Like, I didn't think he would do that. I thought the Chiefs defensively would focus on it. But, man, I got to be honest. Like, I thought, you know, I thought he'd run for, his, you know, 4.3 to 4.5 and, like, be really effective. And really, after the first drive, like, he did not do much on the ground against that. I mean, I, long of 11 yards is as long yeah, as he did not do much. They bottled him. Listen, and you know what? And this is a good spot to kind of go here. I think we always talk with this team and rightfully so about Mahomes and Kelsey. And we talk about Pacheco and Rice now in the offense. And like defensively, it's always about the corners and it's about Jones. And like to some degree, it's Carl Loftus. They won this game in so many ways because of guys we don't ever talk about. Like, and by the way, I got to also say, and, and Butker, who was just unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. But like, Butker, by the way, now is a Hall of Famer to me. Like that guy, he's he's Vinatieri. Like he's a Hall of Famer, period, end of story. That guy's made as many clutch kicks as Vinatieri ever did. He's in the Hall of Fame. Um, But like, there were so many guys in this game who aren't the headline guys who just played great football. Tremari Connor was excellent again. Leo Chanel was probably the best player on the field for the Chiefs in this game. Mike Pinnell was unbelievable like Mike Pinnell was everywhere in that game growing grown men I like throwing them out of the way to make make stops in the run there's one play that somebody I forget who it was might have been Nate Tice or the athletic camera put on the put on uh Twitter where he grabbed Trent Williams and just launched him like like that have you seen the size of Trent Williams the man's nickname is Silverback like yeah. and he's grabbed him and just launched him. I mean, Trent Williams is a first ballot, first ballot Hall of Fame left tackle. Okay, launched him, and then you get a guy like Allegretti, who from the second quarter on is playing with a torn ligament in his elbow and is dealing with like Javon Hargrave and just continues to play through it. Yeah, I mean, 
those are the guys. By the way, Justin Watson had over 50 yards receiving in the game. McCall Hardman had obviously the touchdown, but also like an, another enormous play. There, Jalen Watson recovering that that muff punt. Carl Loftus, who I mentioned earlier, but like recovering that 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 feel, that fumble when there are three Niners around him. Yeah, I mean, you're like plays in the game by players who you might not have gone in going, hey, this guy could win Super Bowl MVP, or this guy's going to have 100 yards, or this guy's going to have three sacks. But, like, they dominated the game. They're the reason, among others, of course. I mean, you got to have your main guys. But, like, they are massive, massive reasons they won that football game. And we got to talk about Nick freaking Allegretti, man. Yes, we do. Dude with a torn UCL. Same injury that Purdy had last year that he could not throw the football. Could not even attempt to throw the football. Nick Allegretti tore that, I think, in the third quarter, they said, and finished second, the game. Second quarter. Second, second quarter. quarter. I, 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 I'm, look, I'm prone to hyperbole, as, as many of us who, who talk in front of a microphone are at times. Is that alone worth putting Nick Allegretti in the, in the ring of honor? No, but... Uh, I mean, come on, man. I put him in the Hall of Fame. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what, though. Like, that's one of those things like he'll never buy a drink again in Kansas City. Like, yeah. people will remember him for that. And they should. They yeah. should. Like, that is that is crazy. That is a crazy, crazy way to have to play a game. Like, you have a torn UCL. Like, that's Tommy John surgery. People are unaware of, like, what that means. And the guy plays through it and wins. And it's just, again, you don't just win because you're stars. You win because other guys around the stars step up and have an outsized importance in the game. Kind of like, to be fair, on the Niners side, Juwan Jennings, who was tremendous. Like, that's how you win. And, you know, I thought in that game, frankly, that was that was the difference. Like, we could sit here and talk about, like, look, Mahomes at 399 total yards. He was incredible. Kelsey had 93 yards receiving. Chris Jones didn't have a sack, but he was everywhere. Like, but and McDuffie was, you could make an argument. McDuffie was the MVP of the game. It was spectacular. Yeah, but I yeah. And, and it's not taking away from those guys. But like you expect that out of those guys, right or wrong. Like that's expectation. That's why you know some of those guys I just mentioned are among the greatest players of all time. You don't expect Leo Chanel to come in and play like an All Pro linebacker. You don't expect Mike Pinnell to come in and play like Joe Green. Okay, like those are the guys. And Pinnell, Pinnell. Played less than half the snaps in that game. Like, can you believe that? Like, just, I mean, they played like forty-eight percent of the snaps, and it felt like he had twenty tackles. He was tied I for mean, fourth, fourth in the team in tackles. It was unbelievable. I mean, yeah. for a defensive tackle, that's impossible. Yeah. Like, he was incredible in the football game. That's the way you win games. That in, in of this magnitude, that is the way. In Baltimore, it was Dion Bush, and it was MVS sealing the game with a big catch. And it was Allegretti stepping in in that game and playing for Joe Tooney, right? I mean, it was Buffalo. It was MVS again, to give him credit. Like, two huge catches in Buffalo. It was Chamari Connor stepping in for Mike Edwards who got hurt immediately. Like, that's how you win Super Bowls. And that's why Brett Veach, by the way, I thought two guys punched their ticket to the Hall of Fame in that game on Sunday. Harrison Bucker's going to the Hall of Fame. He is going to the Hall of Fame. Brett Veach is going to the Hall of Fame. You won three Super Bowls as general manager. You're going to the Hall of Fame, man. Like you're going in. Those two guys are going to the Hall, and they're going to join Andy and Kelsey and Mahomes and Jones, and eventually, of course, Tyreek Hill 
and I think Tyron Matthew will get in. Mitchell Schwartz probably won't, but he should. But like, there's going to be a lot of guys in 20 some odd years from now who are going to be sitting there going, oh my God, like look at all these guys who played on the dynasty team that are going to the Hall of Fame. Those are going to be a couple of them. What about Spagnola? Man, look, I tweeted this out. One of my career goals is to have a Hall of Fame vote. I know a lot of guys who vote on the Hall of Fame. And I would hope at one point that I can I can weasel my way in there and and, and be uh, the degenerate of the group. I will tell you right now, nobody has ever been put into the Hall of Fame as an assistant head as an assistant coach. Excuse me, he should absolutely be a Hall of Famer. That guy has four rings as an assistant coach as a coordinator. Nobody else has ever done that. Nobody else has ever been a four time champion as a coordinator. And go look at the teams he's beaten, like. He shut down some of the best teams ever, including an undefeated Pats team. That guy should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know that he will because precedents are hard to set and all the rest of it. He should be. He he was, for the span of the year, he was the MVP of that team. There's no doubt in my mind that he was the most valuable person associated with that team. Is it a bummer to you that, you know, he was asked somewhat recently, you know, do you do you still want to be a head coach? And he said, yeah, you know, I'd like to be a head coach again. And, you know, he's 64 years old. Do you think that comes into play? If he wasn't 64, if he was 58, would maybe he be getting some interviews for a, for a head coaching job? Because I almost feel bad for him because he had the one shot. It didn't go well. And he's been so brilliant. Is is that part of it? It's just that, hey, man, he's 64 and people want to start their programs up with somebody maybe who will be there for a long time. Yeah, I think it's just really hard. Like you mentioned, okay, so he's he's older, and he's older, and on top of that, he's a defensive minded coach. He coached the Rams. That didn't go well. Now, to me, like, look, I mean, that Rams team. Go back and look at the roster. I mean, he had no shot in hell. Okay, but like that'll always be kind of held against them. Um, I, 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 I think. I think that it would be very, very hard for him to become a head coach. Um, I, I think he's a defensive coordinator, but I think he should take solace in the fact that I think there's a real, honest-to-God case. He's the greatest defensive coordinator of all time. Like, you could argue about, hey, look, LeBeau and the zone blitz and Monty Kiffin and the Tampa 2. And fine, fine. I'm not saying he's the most innovative, but I think he is legitimately – in the in the pantheon, the uh, the Mount Rushmore, the conversation, the greatest single defensive coordinator ever. I, I think that that's completely fair. Yeah, and you know, remember, people get like you're not static. Like he's a better defensive coordinator now than he was in the past. But one thing that I really right. admire about Spagnolo and his defenses, I think some guys, you know, they don't want to they they want to rack up the sacks. They don't want to allow yards, and I I think. As impressive as this year was with Steve Spagnuolo, I think some of the other Chiefs defenses have been more impressive because he didn't have the talent. I mean, these guys that he has now are fan- Chris Jones, the cornerbacks, the linebacking group that he has. Like, he's been waiting his whole life for a defense yeah. of personnel group like this. He did not. He he would. He was willing to work with what he had, and when he had worse defenses that the Chiefs, and he knew what he had on offense, he played bend but don't break. And he wasn't concerned about how many yards the Chiefs did. How many times did the Chiefs do well in scoring defense, even when their defense wasn't good? How many times did they do well in points allowed but were bottom of the league in yards allowed? Steve Spagnuolo cares about winning. 
He doesn't care about pumping up his resume with low yards and top 10 defenses. I think that's what makes him more special than anything. Yeah, you could look I I my personal feeling on him is he's a lot like Belichick in the sense that a lot of these teams you know what they're going to come out and they're going to play. Like they're going to do this and this and this. You never know what the hell Spagnuolo is going to do. Like week to week, play to play, half to half. I mean, Justin Reed after the game against Buffalo was talking about how they were running checks in the second half of the game they didn't even have in the playbook. Like they were just making up the defense as the game was going on, which, by the way, is a massive credit to the players themselves. Like, do you know how smart and, – and Spags just talked about this, by the way, this year, how he feels the smartest defense he's ever coached. Do you know how smart you've got to be to be in a playoff game like that in that scenario and you're just like, listen, we're, we're smart enough, we're intelligent enough that we're able to just – you know, hey, listen, we just we just create a new defense while we're out here. It's no problem. Like, there are guys that they can barely remember the calls you've been making since August. And the Chiefs were like, you know what? This isn't working. Let's just completely change everything. Done. Fine. Do it. I mean, that that doesn't happen. That's nuts. And, you know, look, and when they needed it the most in January and February, they got the job done, and Spags is an enormous reason why. We had a couple of super chats I want to get to really quickly. Shout out to AJ who says, uh, remember my super chat a month ago saying, call me crazy. What if they turn it on for the playoffs? Uh, let's go. I wasn't crazy. You weren't, man. And Patrick Grant, who says, first prayers to everyone affected uh, by this. This is referencing my monologue at the top of the show. Selfishly, I feel like the day and glow of yesterday has been taken from us as a whole. But I hate And I hate that for all of us. But what a time to be a Chiefs fan. Um, yeah, absolutely, Patrick. Um Look, let's let's talk uh, legacies for a second. Um, we know what you we've already talked about a number of players that you think punched their ticket to the Hall of Fame. Where does this position Patrick Mahomes for you now as he joins, you know, Troy Aikman, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Montana, and of course Tom Brady? And that's pretty much it in terms of titles. Where where does he stand for you all time? Is it firmly number two? Uh, he's firmly three in the top three for me. Uh, I'll hear it with him in Montana. You know, I don't think it's fair just because Montana retired, you know, 30 years ago. People are just like, well, that's it then. Like, like, I mean, Montana won four Super Bowls. He won three Super Bowl MVPs. He's two-time MVP. Like he's before Brady was widely regarded as greatest quarterback in history. I think it's top three. I think it's those three. And, and listen, I know there, there are the older fans out there who will say, well, what about a Johnny Unitas? And I'm willing to hear all that. The difference is the, the game is just so different. Like the game's so different now. I love all the history. I love the Sammy Balls and the Sid Lockmans, and those guys were revolutionary. Yeah, and those guys are revolutionary, but they threw the ball like eight times in a game. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just different. Like it, what you're asking of these quarterbacks now in the Mahomes era is just impossible to compare to some guy. I mean, Bobby Lane in the with the Lions was the first ballot Hall of Famer, great quarterback. Bobby Lane was like chain smoking and drinking at halftime. Okay. Like it's just a totally different deal. I think he's top three for me. You want to argue too? I'll hear it. Um, look, I, I'm not one of these people that says, well, he's got to win seven to be considered. Like I, with all due respect to Brady, who I have the utmost respect for, um, the first three that Brady, one, like he was definitely a part of it, but like he wasn't the main reason they won the Super Bowls. I mean, they won the Super Bowls, they had a great defense. Now, 
This year was more like a Brady year, honestly, for Mahomes, where it was kind of like, hey, man, make like four or five plays, let the defense win the game. But like Brady had three of those. Mahomes, this is the first time his defense has really been like a driving force. Um, If Mahomes gets to like five, I I think you could really start having the argument he's the greatest quarterback of all time. I already think he's the best talent I've ever seen. But talent has to meet accolades to be the best ever. And uh, look, he's on pace for that. That that's unquestionable. Um, I'll tell you right now, they win another one. They win another one next year. I think they're the greatest team of all time. And I don't think that's any kind of a stretch. I think they're the greatest team in NFL history. And I think if he does that and he has a three-peat, then I think you can accelerate the argument. Then it's like, okay, look, at that point, I'm ahead of Montana, and I'm right there with Brady. Like, I have no problem with that if, if they were to do it again. Yeah. I mean, at that point, if they win again, you're starting to think like, is this guy ever going to lose? Like, is he just is he going to win the Super Bowl? Every win 10 of them. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, all right, let's look ahead a little bit. Now, I called this the Arrowhead Attic season finale. That does not mean we're going anywhere. Uh, by the way, hit that like button if you're watching on YouTube. But it is sort of the end of this season for us here. It's the last Thursday show after the. It's the Thursday show after the Super Bowl. We will resume next week, and of course, like we're going to start. Looking towards the combine, how can the Chiefs reload? I thought it would be okay to just kind of start that conversation really quickly with what Chris Jones said at, at the parade, uh, unfortunately, before all the tragedy happened. Right, right. About for all those people who want Chris Jones gone, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be back next year and next year and the year after. Now, he said some nice things about the Chiefs and wanting to be a Chief forever, you know, last offseason too. And, of course, one of his agents hopped on and was basically like – Get him off the sauce. Take the microphone away. Um, what do you think about that, though? Things change. Winning back-to-back Super Bowls, those things change. Is Chris Jones looking at things, in your view, maybe a little bit differently than he did last year? I'll tell you this, and I didn't tweet this because it was somewhat evident he had had a few course Lights or Bud Lights or whatever he was drinking. Yeah. I was at the parade. I was on 18th and Grant with my dad, and he grabbed the microphone at one point while walking and exclaimed, I'm not going anywhere, which brought a a massive roar from the crowd. So it wasn't the only time he said it. Like it wasn't just on the stage where he got caught up in the moment. Like he said it multiple times, at least, at least twice. Um, And I saw it as Asian tweeted. In fact, I retweeted it. Um, Listen, his agent works for him. It's not the other way around. And if Chris Jones says to his agent, Hey bro, Sign me in Kansas City. Guess what? Like You're signing in Kansas City. I am not going to take too much out of the fact of what happened at the parade. Like, he was annihilated and having a damn good time. At the same point, I do think it shows that there's no bad blood from what happened in the summer. Like, it shows, like, he wants to be back. And I'll tell you what, man. I don't think it was intentional because I don't think he was in the moment of doing anything intentional. Like, it puts a lot of pressure on Veach, too. Like, you just told a million people, hey, bro, I want to be back here. Sign me. You know, like, the question to me is, does he get it done before free agency? He hits free agency. I think it's very hard for the Chiefs to bring him back. Not impossible, but, like, then all of a sudden everybody's bidding and it's crazy. And I'll tell you, too, let's um, let's all keep it real here. Uh, At the Combine... 
the Katz brothers are going to know what everybody else's best offer is because that's when they're going to feel them. And that's in a week. So, so I think if you're Jones and you want to be back, like you definitely can be, I don't think he's going to get the highest offer from Kansas City. But does he take a little bit of a haircut? And I'm not talking home down discount. I'm talking like if some team offers three and 90 and the Chiefs offer like three and 84, would he stay? You know, something like that. Whereas I think Sneed, who's never been paid for and was on the uh, Up and Adams show uh, earlier today, and was asked, what would you say to Brett Veach? And he said, quote, pay me, pay me, pay me. <laughs> um, and by the way, they should pay him. Yeah, He should want to get paid. He played like he played on a fourth-round rookie contract for four years. It's different for Lejarius Sneed. He's looking for that first big, hey, I'm setting up my, my kids and their kids for the rest of their lives type of contract. Jones had that contract already. So it'll be interesting to see that. And look, if they get Jones done before the franchise tag deadline, that opens up a lot of things. Because then you can tag Lejarius Sneed and use that to work through the spring and summer. So, like, there's a lot of benefits to getting Jones done quick. Can they do it? Maybe. We'll see. But it was definitely good to hear Jones say what he said. And, boy, I mean, once again, and maybe it's not going to show up with with a a bunch of sacks, but once again, throughout the playoffs, impact plays, the Bills game, Chris Jones is a force. Oh, he's incredible. George Karloftis is coming along. Even if Jones took the slightest step back, if FAU takes a step forward, if if George Karloftis takes one more step forward, and I think he did take a step forward this year or last year, like he's there, you you have a formidable pass rush. Uh, You get uh, Omenihu and Omenihu, right? Yeah. So I I, I like it if they can find a way to do it. um, You know, I think the Chiefs have a they have an opportunity here to figure out one or two more receiver pieces. And I think they'll be okay on offense. I think the rest of the offense is in good shape. Well, I first of all, I agree with you. Um, secondly, I'll tell you this, although I'm, I'm not sure how thrilled SIL be, but they'll be all right. They'll they'll manage. Um, so I'm working on a piece alongside my coworker, Gilberto Manzano, where we we ranked the top 50 free agents. And we, for a lot of these guys, got um, ca- uh, projections of their contract from from people in the league. And I was responsible for 25 different players, just basically the odd numbers on the list. And I got projections for each one of the players from from agents around the NFL. The projection that I got for Chris Jones from a very, very like high-end agent, like very reputable, was 26 and a half per year. That was his projection. Um, Sneeds, I believe from the same agent, same projection, three years, 45 million. So, like, if you're the Chiefs, man, like three years, forty-five million dollars. That's something I got out in a heartbeat. And it, and and I thought that was a little bit of an outlier, like when I asked him that. But I, you know, you do some digging, and it seems about what people think. Like, I've seen people as low as twelve a year, which I that I don't see happening. But I've seen people only as high as like sixteen, sixteen and a half. So, like that three forty-five seems like league, like in the league, that seems right now. That comes with the caveat: all it takes is one team. To yeah. just go, hey, four and eighty. I mean, like, but my from my understanding, talking to a you know a handful of league sources on this, three and three and forty five seems about right. And again, you know, listen, it's a projection, but that is where we're at. Is we're getting ready to go into the combine. It's going to be fascinating to see how Brett Veach plays it. He's got to be feeling himself right now. Uh, and I, I will just say before we get out of here, shout out to MVS for 
for, for, for messing with us one more time on that last drive and doing the old Demarcus Robinson special and running the wrong way, turning a five-yard gain into a loss of four. Um, that was uh, absolutely incredible um, by MVS. Does, is, is MVS back? No. I, I mean, they saved they save twelve million by cutting them. Yeah. I can't imagine that that happens. Yeah, and and look at this point, and shout out to MVS. I mean, he showed up for them in the playoffs. Got the, it done. The, that one play, caught a caught a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. Um, successful signing, like it was a help last year the AFC Championship game. Successful signing, like whatever bad things happened, there yeah. was enough good from MVS that I'm I'm I'd do it again. Yes. I I totally agree with you. I think that it's uh, you know, it's it. Listen, it worked out. They won two Super Bowls with the guy. I mean, you can say whatever you want. Like, oh, well, this year he stunk. This year he did stink, but like they needed it. They needed him, right? I mean, so yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna sit there and uh, you know, and and crush it. It worked out, and they needed him. Yeah, he showed up when it mattered the most, and that's uh, <laughs> they hoisted the Lombardi, man. Never again. You don't ever have to say you're sorry when you win a championship. Um, we're going to get out of here. Uh, a couple couple points of business I want to get to and that Verteram needs to get to. Um, I just want to say, again, thank you to all of our members, to everybody who watched the show this year. We are going nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. We'll be back on Tuesday. We're going to keep this thing rolling just like we always do. We're going to get you ready for the combine, for the draft, for free agency. Uh, all this, all this stuff. I hope you enjoyed our coverage down at the Super Bowl. If you haven't caught up on everything, there's a lot of evergreen content there. I got Verderham. I got to interview uh, Bruce Smith this year. Um, awesome. it, it was it was like last year when we interviewed Joe Montana. That I was like, it's a few times that I've been just absolutely starstruck talking yeah. to him. And and never did I foresee a situation in which I was hungry and and Hall of Famer legend Bruce Smith would hand me a package of peanut butter M&Ms. Beautiful. And, and then I could eat those peanut butter. I mean, what more can you ask for out of life? No, it's a beautiful thing. He's not a small man. No, he's not. He's no. not. Um, but I talked to him about I talked to him about Derek Thomas on the 24th anniversary of Derek Thomas's passing. That yeah. alone, and you have to dig for these a little bit because I don't know if we separated each one out. So if you go to that day, you got to dig and find the interviews because they're long streams. It's worth listening to what Bruce had to say about um, – about Derek, who was his friend um, and contemporary. So um, also check out the Marcus Spears interview. Marcus Spears also had a lot to say about Derek Thomas, talked about how we were robbed of of, of, of greatness um, when we lost Derek Thomas and also an incredible person. So check all that stuff out. And I just want to thank uh, Richard and Sean and Hunter, our pro producers down there in, in the Super Bowl, and for all that they've done for us all year long and my co-hosts. Um, Sterling Holmes, Adam Bess, Matt Connor. Of course, you, Verderam, you're on the show almost as much as you were when you were a co-host. Um, it, it just, it's just such a pleasure to do this show. It's grown to well over 50,000 subscribers on YouTube because of all of you. In like the last month, it's like doubled. It's unbelievable. You guys are incredible. And Verderam, I know you got a little side thing going on where you're talking ball and Chiefs is, is another way to support the people involved with this podcast. So lay it on. Yeah, thank you. So uh, maybe we could drop the, the link in the chat here if we're so kind. But uh, I am doing something called the Matt Verderam Show, not because I have that big of an ego, but because it's easy to search. 
It's on Patreon. It's a video podcast. I had my first guest. Uh, the show is going up tomorrow. I recorded today with Sterling Holmes. And I'm going to have really, really, really uh, good, insightful, fun guests from this show at times, from, from other walks of life, national people. But the show is all about the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, my national podcast is the MMQB. But the Matt Verderam show on Patreon is strictly Chiefs football. It's going to be two podcasts every week, Monday and Friday. Uh, there's also going to be bonus episodes, emergency pods. I'm going to have my picks there um, every uh, every every single week during the season. Zach, you, you'll be invited. No worries. I'll bring you on, and, and we, we can trash people. Uh, but uh, if you go to the link in there, it's uh, – there's multi. There's multiple ways to sign up. You can be a free member, uh, which is, is is limited, and there's also a couple other uh, monthly rates to sign up at that are, I think, somewhat meager. So, um, trying to get it off the ground. The response so far has been crazy. I see a lot of people in here already on the show and checking it out. So, um, thank you for uh, supporting it any way you can. Go to the link and uh, you know see if you see if you like it. Yeah, and I just want to say, you guys support, a lot of you support the show financially so that we can do things like bring Verderam on and, and Sterling. And we invest everything back into the show. Um, sports media is a tough business, man. Uh, there's lots of layoffs. Things happen. Um, advertising money is hard to come by. That's what the, the main thing that, that keeps us going. But when you support this show... Verderam show other journalists or content creators that you care about financially it means the world to us and it makes a real difference it makes a real real difference it, um there's a lot of great free content out there most of our content is free but when you're able to go that little extra mile we know how tight it is out there for everybody so it means a lot to us but what you're doing when you do that is um there's been a big consolidation of sports media and blogs over the years because there hasn't been enough advertising dollars because people stopped paying for newspapers and things like that. And while we may never, may never go back to that era, when you do yep. these little things to support creators and support journalists, you're going to get better content because of it. And it's really, really important. No, I, I appreciate that. It's all well said. I mean, look, I'll be honest. The reason I did it, I've wanted to do it for a while. Like it's kind of been something I've been kicking around in my head, but of course we talk chiefs here. And by the way, that's not going to change. I'm still going to talk here as much as I ever have. Um, this is just an addition. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things like, listen, we, I got a notice like a month ago. Hey, guess what? End of April. Like if the SI license doesn't get renewed, like you're fired. See ya. And I have no idea if I'm going to get fired in a few months. I don't know what the hell is going to happen. So, you know, got a wife, two kids. And I was like, I'm not going to sit there and hope things work out. Like, I'm going to be active and at least trying to get myself some money. Like, it's not going to replace a salary if I get laid off. But, like, the idea is to at least position myself the best way I can. And, and also, in full disclosure, the idea eventually is to take that show and also put it on YouTube and, and get some sponsors out of it once the show gets big enough um, and do some different things. So, like, there's a lot of, you know, maybe have, like, a national YouTube version of it and a Chiefs version on Patreon and so many other ways. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, if you like my work, it's the same stuff there that it is here in terms of the way I talk and the way I bring people on. And you know, I'm sure, you know, Patrick on at some point and everything else, as long as you can put up with me. So um, it's good. I saw somebody ask, when do you do Zooms? So if you're a if you're a top tier member there, I'm going to do a Zoom every month with everybody. So come on and we can chat and talk and um all the rest of it. I do a mailbag once a week. We have a guest on once a week. So it's, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot. It's going to be coming live from Indianapolis, uh, Monday, Friday. So there's, there's no shortage of content, but yeah, support, 
this show. Support Stack in the Box here, which you know I, I worked on for years and I love. Uh, you know, people in the media, like, look, I'm not trying to make myself like a pity case. But like, yeah, it's I, this industry is a shit show at the moment. So um, if you like somebody, you like their work, you respect them, and you have a few bucks you can part with, hey, that is, that is that makes us much more free to be creative and not worry about, like, the acts. It's always, like, right here. You know, so that, that's yeah. kind of where it all came from. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure you support Matt. Thank you for supporting us all season long. Um, again, our thoughts, our prayers, our well wishes to everybody in Kansas City, everybody affected in any way, shape or form. And of course, to the to the poor woman um, who had her life taken. Uh, if you want to know my thoughts on that and you, you arrive late, go back and watch the top of the show. Um, we love you, Kansas City. We will be back next week with our regular slate of shows. But until then, as always, go Chiefs.